I really believe that blockchain technology is revolutionary. Whatever happens with this current iteration of like the the collectible NFT market, I believe I, I I'd almost say I know that blockchain technology is going to revolutionize most industries over the next decade. Hello, investors. This is Michael with Investorly. At the intersection of financial education and opportunity, we empower you to invest early. In episode 26, we welcome Michael Keane, co-host of the NFT Catcher Pod and NFT community member. We learn how Michael got started in the space, hear his podcasting style, and take questions from the community. Stay informed of upcoming episodes, receive our valuable weekly newsletter, and learn to earn by subscribing to Investorly at investorly.substack.com. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. So tell us about yourself, what you do, and uh, give that introduction that no one can do better than you. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, my name is Michael Keen. I'm from Philadelphia. I live in South Florida. I've been down here for about twice. I was a ticket broker for a long time concerts and sporting events that obviously got, you know, kind of shut down the beginning of 2020. And at the beginning of 2021, I found NFTs. I found a home because the markets were kind of super similar. Believe it or not, I I found a lot of similarities. I was able to jump right in and I started, you know, just kind of buying and selling, you know, quote unquote flipping. And I saw some needs in the market. And one of them was for a drop calendar and uh, a few people that I work with and myself, we started nftcatcher.io uh, a little bit over a year, which is a calendar for NFT drops. We, we try to pride ourselves on being the most comprehensive list there is. Uh, in conjunction with that, we started a Discord where we're at almost 11,000 people we're super proud of, uh, all organic. We've done no advertising. We have 60 sums and subscribers to our web. And... Uh, so from there, I kind of worked on some projects, did some consulting, put a little bit of a team together from like the marketing and the tech side. And also, as you alluded to, host a podcast, the NFT Catcher podcast, myself and Jennifer Sudo, Jenny from the blockchain with our amazing producer, Andy Sinquino. And um, we're 56 episodes into that. We actually interviewed Fuckrender last night, which was really cool. Uh, We do two a week. One of them is like a weekly recap with just Jennifer and I. And then we do one that's an interview. We've had some amazing guests on. And uh, that's kind of where at this point. Well, that's a pretty fascinating story, uh, story, Michael. Uh, Can you dive a little little bit deeper into uh, what initially drew you into NFTs? You were a ticket broker. Uh, You got into NFTs just uh, beginning of last year. But can you dive deeper into what exactly attracted you to it? Was it the tech? Was it the uh, potential for you know making huge gains? What exactly drew you in there? Yeah. To figure out your personality here. Sure. So uh, you know, I I spent all of 2020 and then the very beginning of 2021, I wasn't working. You know, we did very well, so it was like, you know, I needed to start working at some point, but like I just there wasn't anything for me to do. Tickets was was so easy and it was like selling air, quote unquote, you know, just emailing tickets around. So I'm looking, what do I do? What do I do? And I actually looked into like sneakers and baseball cards for a little bit. And I came across Gary V and I just played around. I didn't really do anything 
great with it. It was kind of a pain to ship things, but I came across Gary V and knew that he was very smart. So I kind of became a fan of his. And then uh, in February of last year, he puts out the video. It actually came up on my TikTok, believe it or not. Uh, and it was basically like him talking about NFTs, talking about supply and demand, talking about this is what he's going to be doing the rest of his life, digital assets. And so many bells were gone off just because I knew he was smart and he was ahead of the curve. So immediately after that, TikTok, literally it ended. And I think, what, what is it? Came across Top Shot. I'm a big basketball fan, 76ers fan. I got into Top Shot for a while. And as soon as I got into it, I realized how much like tickets it was with, you know, obviously supply and demand, blah, blah, blah. But, but it's so transparent that you could find the traders that you like and watch them. So the transparency really got me excited about it. I also shortly thereafter got into Vivi. And then um, and then Gary in April started talking about MetaMask and, and VFriends. And I you know got into VFriends because of him, one-to-one. And the rest was history. Uh, the reason I got into it you know, initially is because I needed to figure out a way to make money. I was never really a crypto guy. Like I was never, I was never like a real risky investments type of guy. We just, you know, we're kind of cranking along and doing well in the traditional work world. Um, and then, uh, since then I've definitely got, like, I didn't know any artists when I started this. I didn't know who Damien Hurst was. I didn't know any of these people, but I, I've, I've been on clubhouse every night, met all these artists, learned about all these artists. So now I'm kind of into art and like, and definitely into the tech. Like I really believe that blockchain technology is revolutionary. Whatever happens with this current iteration of like the the collectible NFT market, I believe I, I I'd almost say I know that blockchain technology is going to revolutionize most industries over the next decade. Um, but you know, th- specifically to answer that question, it was originally it was about money, and I didn't know what gains. I just knew in my heart that I needed to to do it. And it took a few months to really start making money. It just was, I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could be, I was working 18 hours a day on it and learning and learning and learning. And I didn't have another job, you know, and I just, it, it, it's been, it's been incredible. That's pretty fascinating. And I got to say, we're, we're all still so early, but to catch it in, um, you know, early 2021, uh, that you're, you're considered like an OG, although that was only like about 15 months ago. Pretty crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel really lucky for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for that answer. It's always fascinating to hear, um, it you is. know, people, people give a, a background of they were a computer scientist or they had a right. finance degree. I know. Were, I know. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were doing some sort of engineer software engineering or something like that. So it's, it's pretty fascinating to hear that. And so, you did mention you weren't really you weren't into crypto before NFTs, but since then, have you become uh, more of an investor into, I guess, what you'd say, kind of traditional crypto with Ethereum or maybe Bitcoin or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of Ethereum just from playing markets here, and also, um, like, I bought some OMI for Vivi. There's probably eight or ten cryptos that I've put some money in just for like long term because I think the project has a chance to really crush it long term. Um Galley Games and uh a few others. I'm off the top of my head I don't even really remember. But like I'm not like playing that market up and down 
like I do with, with NFTs, but I've gotten into it some like, you know, and I, and I respect the crypto world and think that it's part of the future for sure. For sure. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of a, by a means, you know what I mean? You get whichever way you come in, you're like, Oh, well, that's a little bit, you deviate just so slightly. Silly not to, you know, like with, with, you you see what's happening. And yeah, of course. I mean, if, um, if you're looking long-term prospectus and, uh, possibly right now is a, Maybe don't catch a falling knife, but uh, right. the next two weeks could be a great time to, to scoop up some really cheap tokens. Uh, so uh, my next question for you is that what was your, your very first NFT purchase? Uh, my first purchase would have been Top Shot. I think I remember buying a pack of, uh, i to remember, like uh, Seeing Stars, I think it was. And like I bought it for $14. And sold it for like two hundred and fifty dollars, like one of the moments. And I was just like, "Holy crap! I need to get as many of these as I can." Because there was a while when it was it was just a gold mine in Top Shot. Like anything you bought uh, would would just crush it. Think about it from the perspective of you. We we've got John Doe in the middle of the country. Does not spend any time on uh, Twitter in crypto. And how do we break down NFTs in the sense of? How do we get them involved and how do we get more people into the space? So when, when we think about these amazing opportunities like Top Shot, right? Like you're minting Top Shots, anything yeah. you get into uh, crushes it. For someone that's getting in, let's say in the fall or even the winter of 2022, and you're not a mind reader, obviously, but what do you say to someone when they look at the space and they go, what is this? Why do I want to be a part of it? it going because it's been so volatile and i can't tell what images it you know matters yes for sure so the first thing i would say to those people obviously you're going to want to learn and this is a great place to start um but what you're what you're really getting into is digital assets digital ownership that's something really to wrap your head around uh the fact that we can now own things digitally um, you know, digital things only really came around 25 years ago. We started, you know, MP3s and and whatever else, you know, different things and video games and skins and digital and all that started coming around, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Now, because of this blockchain technology, like I said, the technology, we can now own things digitally. And some of those things can provide you memberships or quote unquote utilities. And because of the smart contract and the proof of ownership on the blockchain, they can verify that it is yours and that you get the benefits of owning that particular thing that the creators of it build onto it via the smart contract. Let's go. So now we're, now we're cooking. Now we got cooking here. All right. Now that you're cooking, let's cook a little bit more. What do you say to the idea of rug pulls? How do you watch out for them? And uh, someone just getting started, what's the advice to say, who am I following? Where am I getting my information? How do you educate yourself properly? Sure. Um, I mean, the rug pulls are nasty. Uh, they've also been happening in, in the real world with businesses for a long time. The thing with NFTs that's a little bit different is, these, you know, these companies are starting almost every company. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like 
crowdfunding. You know, they're like Kickstarters as opposed to a traditional company where like you start a restaurant and then you hope you do well, people pay you then. So for what to watch out for, like, it's like when you're first getting into this, you want to, like, we say a lot of times, like bet the jockey, not the horse, like who's running the project. Is it somebody with a reputation? That's what I look for a lot. Like a lot of the, the, when the, when the big Twitter people that have a reputation are positive players in the game, when they're dropping a project, that's a really good sign. Um, what I would suggest for someone just started, there's actually a really good Twitter space every morning, Monday to Friday, called Nifty Alpha with Nick and Pio. And they get a lot of people. They get like 15, 16, 1700 people every morning. It's 9 a.m. Eastern to 1030. And it's just a really good listen um, where you'll start hearing, you'll start hearing about projects. You can look into the ones they talk about. They don't allow shilling. So it's not some random people coming up talking about a random project. It's really smart people, traders, investors, talking about what they're into, what they like, and why. Um, that's a really nice place to start. Uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Beautiful. And so why don't you talk about how you ended up in a partnership uh, as a co-host of uh, you know a thriving Twitter space and podcast? Yep. Yeah, we, uh, so basically, you know, last summer I, uh, I started getting the urge to do a podcast. I was on clubhouse, like I said, every night and I was hosting rooms and the rooms started to get bigger and bigger and, um, people seemed to kind of like my perspective and I was a trader and it just was, it was cool. So I just kind of wanted to do a podcast. I've never done a podcast before. I've never put myself out there before, but I wanted to do one and I was planning it and it was probably planning it for about a month. And then uh, one day, uh, Jenny, Jenny from the blockchain, she tweeted out like, maybe I'll do a podcast or something like that. And for whatever reason, I, I just DM'd her and I was like, Hey, I was thinking about doing one also. Maybe we, you know, get on a call and chat. And we did. And, you know, a couple weeks later, we kind of recorded our first episode. It went well and we've been really consistent with it and, and our, our kind of listener base has grown. Uh, our producer, Andy Sinquino, is actually a real-life friend of mine. We've been really good friends for about 20 years, so we've gotten really lucky there. He's an audio-video guy, so it was just really built for it. He's a big podcast fan. He was happy to do it, and we've been cranking. We've been cranking them out. Yeah, you have been cranking them out. And what would you say to anyone listening, and you talked about the consistency of not just your podcast, but just consistency in general breeds success over a longer period of time. So what do you think about when you just think about creators in the space? I mean, we have a lot of NFC uh, project founders, a lot of NFC holders, uh, and then you have your, you know, people that are just trying to get into the cryptocurrency space. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what do you say to someone about that consistency and how important it is? And, and what do you lean on to keep that consistency in your own life? Yeah, that's the thing, just showing up, I guess, you know, you have to be you have to like what you're doing to to be consistent and to show up. So you have you have to find something you like to do and enjoy it and get good at it, you know, and and being consistent gives people trust in you, I think. They they feel like they you know, they feel like they can trust you, they know who you are, where you're gonna be, you're not just gonna disappear on them. Um so that that was definitely a big part for me. Like we were doing the clubhouses. I was literally on Clubhouse, like 
every single day from like March to December. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, every night. Yeah. Right. Looking forward uh, from where we are, obviously, it's a brutal period across, you know, the globe in a lot of ways. What do you think the evolution of the NFT looks like over whether it's the rest of 2022, 2023? I mean, do you think that this just gets integrated? I know you said decade, but do you think it just gets integrated across all of society? Or what is it a long-term view uh, from your perspective? Yep, that's a great question. Um, the, the, the short-term evolution, I think, is going to start to move toward like utility-based NFTs with the art being a little more secondary. There's obviously still going to be your fine art, but like we have an ultra glut of these PFP projects right now. And, and in all honesty, most of them will not be worth that much in the future. There will be some amazing ones. Some of the ones that come out are going to be the Amazons, the Ebays, you know, the, the companies that really make it, but most of them are not. There's going to be, there, it's already switching a little bit toward these like utility based tokens with Premin XYZ and Moonbirds and, and things like that. And I think that the next like 2023 is when you're going to start to see it really get integrated into gaming. Uh, and music and things like that. I think the game, I think NFT gaming is going to explode where you're going to be, you know, let's just take something like Fortnite for an example, where you're buying your skins. You can't sell them. You can only buy them now. Eventually you're going to be buying them and then you're going to be able to sell them. And then maybe you were one of the best Fortnite players ever. And maybe the skin you had was really rare. And maybe someone's going to give you a million dollars for it. That's what it's going to start happening with gaming. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Microsoft bought, I think it was Activision or, or something like that for $69 billion to try and get into the Web3 space. Like, they didn't do that just for fun. You know, that's, that's a, quite a lot of money. Yeah, I, I would agree. You're right. Right. There's, uh, and, and that's, I got to say, as, you know, as someone also that's been here consistently, you know, with our project and just in general in the space is, in the tar- in the tough times, in the moments where things like you feel like everything is going to to zero, or you feel like there's no hope, you think back and you look back to to other times, and you think, what would these massive companies be doing, spending billions on billions on billions of dollars to buy more of the biggest companies in the yep. space to evolve? If it was just all going to go for nothing, even though in the short term it feels really uncomfortable or it doesn't look great, you think longer term and you see uh, the signs of what is being set up for a term, you know, future and vision and what you talk about, thinking about that digital authentication is so important. And it's I'm really appreciative of you bringing up even the Microsoft Activision deal, because it really does put some of this in perspective when you're thinking very short term, or at least focused in the short term in that uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the truth. Like, you know, Luckily, I'm in a I'm in I'm in a nice position where I brought some fiat home, and I have you know I have a lot of ETH, but and it's going down really low. But like I'm comfortable in the fact that I've seen the ETH go down before. I've seen it go from five thousand down to twenty four hundred, back up to thirty six hundred, you know, back down. Like I, I'm pretty confident it's going to come back, and I I don't think anybody need you know as long as you're not selling it 
super cheap and hopefully you don't have to. Um, I'll talk about Gary V again because he warned, like I said early on, like I got that quote from him that most of the projects are not going to have super long-term success. So I was one of the people selling a lot. And sometimes I sold stuff too cheap, but I just knew like I have my long conviction plays, but I also had the plays that when they had their moment, I would sell them and bring the money home. So like I was kind of prepared, you know, hope I don't like to see this happen. And I feel awful for some of the people. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the whole Izuki scandal of the last few days, like people well, are getting, you said that we, I want to get into that for sure. And we yeah. can talk about that shortly. Cause that's a, a, that we have in mind. Uh, but without skipping ahead, I will, I know sure. Danny wants to, uh, jump in. So we'll get to the Zuki thing, but that's top of my mind too. So we'll, okay. We'll, we'll go back there in a second. Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Michael and Michael, I appreciate the, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the kind words there. Um, yeah, uh, Michael Keane, I did want to ask you in regards to your, with your background of like being a ticket booker, do you see the utility of NFTs be, because NFTs are authenticating something on the blockchain. Now, right now we're very early on and that's, you know, through art or like PFPs and Twitter's using it now. Instagram is integrating, is going to integrate with it very soon, but basically the backbone of NFTs is authenticating uh, authenticating something that makes it irrefutable. It makes it yours, you own it. But uh, in the near future, it feels like something with cryptographic truth authentication will come about in the form of possible uh, ticketing for events, possibly for uh, IDs, different things like that, the different theories that, that uh, you know investing professionals have brought up in the future. With your back uh, being a ticket booker, do you see something like that happening soon? Yeah, it's already it's already happening. Um, there's already some, you know, NFT gated events. Uh, VCon, which I'm going to next week, is you have to have an NFT ticket to get in, and they created an app where you link your wallet and it knows you have a particular ticket. Um, I told the guys I worked with in as ticket broker a year ago that. In, the, in a few years, every single ticket will be an NFT. And I do believe that. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but like season tickets will be an NFT. I really do believe that every ticket will be. And some of the advantages, so say you're Ticketmaster and you hate Ticket Broker. Ticketmaster did everything they could for 15 years to stop me from buying tickets. Um, but now in the future, if their ticket is an NFT, and they sell it to me, and the price goes up, and I sell it, they can then take a piece of that back. They can get their royalty, and the artist can get a royalty. Um, they can they can put limits on it. They can see what everybody's doing. The ticket doesn't just disappear once they sell it because of that. They would hate to sell a ticket for 100 and then have it be worth 400 and they don't make that money. So I think that there are advantages to them. They're not They're not doing it quite yet, but there are some, like, they're like Ticketmaster is doing like dabbling in there, trying to figure it out. You know, it's still so early and a lot of people haven't adopted it yet. Uh, there's going to be a time where it gets to be super seamless. Like right now it's, it's kind of tough. You have to, you know, MetaMask and load it up with Ethereum. Like it's a lot to get someone to buy an NFT, but it's not going to be like that. Like I said, in a decade, like there's going to be a time where everybody is going to own something digitally. 
Um, it's it's going to be like it's going to be like having an email, having a wallet. That's and, very interesting. Yeah, and what yeah. if you what if you just flip the script on uh, Ticketmaster and you become like their consultant for NFTs and they're forced to work with you? <laughs> I know, I know that'd be something. That'd be that something. Would be, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Uh, uh, Mike, I think uh, I think you have a question. Yeah, no, this is uh, you know Michael makes such good points here about the the ticketing and what you mentioned, Danny, and the questions. These are you know impactful, and it it can be hard thinking about. Yeah, this is this is true, but even thinking of Coachella that just recently happened, yep. they were sending out uh, for every wristband that you got an NFT, so it wasn't necessarily the same form of ticketing that you know every event or uh, you know c- conference will will send out, but. Even Coachella getting into that idea of each ticket offering uh, an NFT being it. So you make a good point. And to further that, what you're saying, Michael, around, you know, NFTs essentially kind of being everywhere. You know, you could see how the idea of just a contract uh, that that two people would sign uh, becoming an NFT. And think about how much quicker it can be to execute on this yeah. as opposed to necessarily the the copying, the pasting, the the screenshotting, the PDFing, the transfer and then waiting are is the market open or is the you know hours and um and that's what i think a lot of this could end up being and, and with that though you recognize that right like 99 percent of nfts probably then don't have that same value uh that they may uh have uh when you started this um and it will depend right like yep. what is uh back you know back pinning the nfc but speaking of nfts and what you mentioned azuki this is something i wanted to get into with you uh, and talk about how do you feel around the idea of project founders or creators creating projects, getting paid out on those creations, and then kind of moving on to another project without necessarily sharing this information with their audience, um, and then making more and more money? Effectively, what happened with Azuki, and we can dive into this, but just your overall take on the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's pretty unsavory, and especially the way this guy did it, where he changed his name. Um, at one point, there was a, an account like that was a woman that that people are saying that he controlled for part of the time as well. You know, like I said earlier, these businesses are now kickstarters. So, like, you have all these people pay in. It's not great just to just walk away and go do something else, and not reward those other early people. Like, if he would have been if he would have been honest about it and said, you know, I'm starting this new one and I'm going to do a raffle and I'm going to give out 500 of Azukis to this other community to help them because it didn't go well. There, there, there were way better ways for him to do it. And then he wasn't even going to tell anybody, but he was um, pretty much, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if blackmail is the right word. I guess people were threatening him that they were going to tell everybody and they were going to, you know, dox him and say where he lived and all that if he didn't let everybody know that he was also the founder of these other projects. Right. Yeah. And then, so, so to give a little bit more clarity, so Izuki, uh, a project that is a top six in volume of NFTs traded uh, yep. in history. Uh, so a top six project. Uh, it came out that uh, the creator and founder, uh, or one of them, uh, was uh, involved with previous NFT projects, which, you know, that is okay. But uh, some of these projects are well known uh, in the space, but they effectively uh, no one knew that this was the same project team uh, until recently. When, as you said, Michael, uh, for some reason there there was a a letter that was dropped and shared 
some information around this, whether it was because he was blackmailed or someone was going to out him on this, kind of trying to drive the home the conversation around, do we find this to be uh, acceptable? What's the right type of uh, process moving forward to, to hold these individuals that do these type of maneuvers or uh, you know, try in a project and then fail and try another project and maybe succeed. It, it, you know, this is part of what being in an er, an industry that's that's brand new, that's early with opportunity. You know, offers you. On one hand, it's totally okay uh, to try something and fail at it, uh, but there is also uh, some level of acceptance and some level of uh, you think ownership that it would take, or uh, your you know investors deserve to at least know. Uh, from a transparency sake. And I think that's where it gets really murky and, and you have people on all sides of the coin trying to talk about it, determine what's the right, you know, what's acceptable. So in your opinion, uh, from Izuki project, what do you think is the right move uh, for the the founder uh, and, and team member to, to do? I mean, should they remain on the project? Should the project abandon him? What do you see as like uh, a good call? Yep, for sure. So, uh, I mean, to give people reference, Azuki was actually really one of the very most successful projects at floor of about 30 ETH a couple weeks ago, which is, you know, 100 grand minimum just to get into the project. It's now cut in about a quarter. I feel really bad for those people. Like, you can watch on the blockchain. There's people that bought them and were selling them for 11 yesterday because they just, you know, it's... Who knows what's going to happen with this guy? Like, I don't know the dynamic of their team and how many people are on there and how integral he is. But my feeling is that Zuki wants to try and save themselves. He's going to probably have to step away. That's right. that's my feeling. Like, but you know, the, the the crazy part is they're still doing huge volume, even though the price is dropping. People are still seeing opportunity to try and you know, quote unquote, flip. And move around every time it gets down in the sevens, people buy it. And he's still getting paid on all of these sales. You know, he's like still getting paid on all the secondary sales. If you look at the action, it's been so let me see, like uh what they're are they the they're the second most traded NFT over the last twenty-four hours. Yeah, well, like we know in, in any investment in any market, there's um there's always gonna be traders and they're gonna try to take advantage of any opportunity to have right. uh, you know, volatility is a trader's best friend. So I'm not surprised so much that that's happening. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, royalty fees uh, for go to, uh, you know, founders of the team uh, yeah. of the project. Uh, so, you know, it's this, this is something that's been, you know, common in the NFT space because of how early it is that there have been not just rug pulls, but there's, you know, imitated, you know, people imitating to be other people, people that you don't know who they are. Uh, and then, you know, large sums at stake. And, um, I think we're reaching the point where a lot of this is now uh, regulating itself in the sense that uh, the stuff that ex was acceptable a year ago is no longer becoming acceptable as far as, you know, from an information standpoint, from what people are willing to accept uh, and put up with and, and what they want. Um, it's not a complete, uh, you know, it's not complete as far as what it's going to be, but it definitely looks like, you know, there is still a lot going on that is, uh, you know, just crazy in the markets and the NFTs specifically. What do you think the catalyst is for uh, NFTs and uh, 
and and getting back into the spotlight. Not that they're not doing you know volume still, but obviously it's down. A lot of people look to Coinbase NFT marketplace drop as this big Valhalla moment. If you remember towards everyone, absolutely, Bowl and you know this, this, and that. And and to be fair, the metrics and the numbers say that the Coinbase NFT release to this point has been a dud, really. Uh, there hasn't been volume. It hasn't really gone through uh, strongly. So what do you think is a catalyst or a catal- or multiple catalysts to uh, excel the you know NFT market forward? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, they're probably twofold. One is going to be when the big brands you know, start to do it. Like there's going to be a time where your Costco membership is an NFT. Um, that's going to be part of it. The other part of it and kind of the original catalyst is when people are making money, they tell other people about it and bring other people in. So we're going to need to fit like we've seen down markets before, probably the worst. Um, There's a lot of these projects aren't going to get back to their all time highs again, Uh, but some of them are going to start coming back and there's going to be new ones that that crush it. And when people are making money, they're going to tell their friends. But to your point, I'm trying to, it's it's a really good question, how to get back to where we're making money. And, you know, like I said, the brands coming in is, is going to help awareness, the ease of use, like people, like the, 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 when it becomes a little more seamless, your point with Coinbase, their timing was, was, was terrible. They definitely dropped the ball on, on coming into the space. You know, that, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a really good answer of what that catalyst is going to be. Yeah, and, that, and listen, you know, that's fine. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, to be, uh, you know, predicting or be a mind reader, you know, yeah. it's not easy. So I'd ask, I'd ask anyone here listening right now, what do you think the catalysts are? I ask you. I mean, think about the market. Think about what you're experiencing. Think about what your NFTs that you hold across many levels, what do they offer? Uh, what can they offer? What do you sure. want them? What do you want them to offer, right? And then, uh, what will uh, you know empower more people to come in uh, to participate in the same market, right? I mean, these are ways that you know you grow uh, industries and you grow spaces, and so those are things that I ask myself, and then I think I ask a, a wider audience, and I love listening to to smart people and other people in the in the same areas give answers to try to figure it out. But it, it goes to show you, it's uh, you know, you start to think, what's the catalyst, right? Like, what is it? And you start to wonder, well, I think we need to figure that out or we need to kind of see some of that bigger brand uh, integration or awareness. That, that's, a, that's a really good question. That's something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thinking about. What is that next catalyst going to be? You know, um, what's going to bring more people in? Because that's what we need. You know, we have more projects now. We need more people. Right. I mean, we have we have more projects for the same people. So when you start to think about right. scale, you go, well, I wonder why there's been, you know, um, floor prices across the board going down. And obviously, some of this is market conditions, but also just from the NFT space, you have essentially the same amount of investors. You yeah. got way more investment opportunities. And that means there's this segmentation uh, or different, you know, uh, projects now are siphoning off from other projects. And at the end of the day, really what happens is the people at the top of these projects are the ones benefiting to all the others. And uh, I think it's important from a, an overall space that education uh, really comes into play. And, and we really think about how this goes forward. So tell us when we can hear your podcast. 
um, or live Twitter spaces uh, so we can catch them. Sure. Uh, we release our weekly recap uh, every Monday. It's usually Sunday night at midnight Eastern that it comes out. We record Sunday night, usually drop it that night. Uh, you can find it on Apple or Spotify. You just search NFT Catcher. It's two words. It comes up the easiest. NFT Catcher Podcast. Um, and then on either Wednesday night or Tuesday night, we do our interview, and that usually drops Thursday at midnight Eastern. Um, and we've had really good guests. We've had Voltura from Psychedelics Anonymous, Extreme Tom from Cool Cats, a bunch of really good artists. Uh, we had Fuck Render on, like I said last night. Um, we, we, it's that's been interesting. So we kind of have two styles depending on what you're into listening to. The recap we go over, you know, the full week of what's happening and all the news and what our takes are. And uh, yeah, you can listen twice a week on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you get podcasts. There you go. Uh, Twitter spaces, we we only do those at, on special occasions when we do our Twitter. We've done that twice now. Mm. Well, live. Yeah. I'm going to count this moment here on a conversation with from Investorly, a special occasion. Yeah, maybe, this is a special occasion. Maybe, special maybe, occasion. maybe a special markets in turmoil occasion. Oh, my. Uh, and, you know, listen, I appreciate you showing up. I appreciate everyone that's come to live uh, listen with us. Uh, um, understandably, uh, feels like sentiment and, uh, just the entire space people are worn out. It's a challenging moment, but still trying to have a good time. We always like to end our conversation with rapid questions and Danny has, uh, the best rapid questions to ask you. So again, thank you so much, Michael and Danny, uh, have some fun here. Wow. Thanks for teeing it up for me there, Mike. Uh, Michael, you, you ready for some quick rapid fire? I'm ready. All right. Is something you do in your daily routine that has contributed to your success? I pull up a couple different data sites in the morning. Uh, one is icy.tools, icy.tools. And another one is flips.finance. And those are just, it's really good to get a quick overview of the market and see if you can catch any trends things going up, things going down, things that are hot. Um, that's contributed to my success with respect to NFTs, I think. And then the other thing is at nighttime, getting on spaces and clubhouse and just talking to people and making friends and making connections might even be more important. Absolutely. And pure education to get yourself where you are uh, today at this point. It's pretty amazing. Exactly. exactly. All right. What's your, what's your go-to drink after a long week? Uh, water. I don't. I don't drink, but I. Uh, I do uh, smoke uh, cannabis. I like sativa. That's my go-to. But but I'm not a drinker. I haven't been a drinker since college. Got wait. You don't even drink water. You don't drink it. No. Oh, I, no. Cool. No. Water's my. Like, water would be my go-to drink. Um, I try not to drink Coca-Cola, but I. I do sadly. Um, but but I drink water as much as I can, and and smoke a bunch of weed. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Well, that's why I, that's why I always uh, say go to drink because um, our last guest we had on last week, uh, another NFT guy, he his go to drink for celebratory um, occasions were, was uh, iced tea and hot tea. So, <laughs> oh, well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> it doesn't have to be alcohol. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Yeah. Next question: uh, What's one of your favorite cities that you visited, and where? What city would you would you love to visit in the next year? 
Ooh, good one. I'm actually a world travel my passion. And uh, I've been to almost 50 countries. I, I've done some long-term travel. Um, my favorite cities that I've been to, there's a town in Patagonia called San Carlos de Bariloche, which I just, it's in Argentina. I fell in love with that town. It's like really beautiful, built with all this this wood, like looking like 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 a lot of Swiss people move there, and it's like all these like just beautiful structures, and they have the most amazing food, and the scenery is unbeatable. I was there in their summertime, and it was light until about ten thirty at night. Like the the adventure opportunities are endless. I loved San Carlos de Bariloche. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Kyoto, Japan. Was super special to be there. I really like uh, I really like Spain a lot. And I'm trying to think of a city that I would even say. I mean, Barcelona. I love Madrid. Like I just like the country of Spain. I really do. Um, and then where do I want to go in the next year? My family and I are actually going to be traveling most of the summer. I have three little kids: a six year old, two five year olds. Um, and we're going to head to the Greek Isles where I really, really want to go. And I've been waiting until I have a lot of time in Southeast Asia. I want to go to Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia. Uh, I want to do all those, that region. So that, that's probably the highest on my bucket list. I also really want to go to, uh, Morocco, like Chef Shawan, Morocco and, uh, places like that. That's fantastic. So in your in your days of being a ticket booker, uh, yeah. were there any tickets that you kept because the event was that amazing, and also for the event, but did surprise celebrities? Yeah, good. Was actually uh, I have a good answer for that. Um, I'm a huge Eagles fan. I'm from Philadelphia, and I was able, I was lucky enough to go to Super Bowl Fifty Two, and uh, I kept that ticket. And um, sitting right behind me, I was in a club level forty yard line. Right behind me was Steph Curry, the entire game, with him and a few of his friends. And I didn't bother him all game, but after the Eagles won, I actually took a picture with him. So I have a picture of me and Steph celebrating the Eagles win. Um, that was incredible. But I have I have tickets from when I was a kid. I was the Eagles season ticket holder starting in 1993 and went to almost every game until I went to Penn State in 97 and then kept being a season ticket holder when I came home. Uh, I usually travel a couple times a year. Uh, the Super Bowl was was the most epic event I've ever been to. I've also been to some Phillies World Series games and some other World Series. I've been really lucky. I was at Game 7 Spurs Heat, uh, whatever year that was, like 2014 or something, in the NBA Finals. Like I've been really lucky in that respect. The Super, Bowl, the Super Bowl was the epic. And VCon is in the same building, so I'm kind of returning to my stomping grounds. Oh, there you go. And what's yep. what's your first uh what's your first fight that you're gonna get that you can't get in Florida? For food? Um I don't know what Minnesota has to I don't know what Minneapolis really has to offer. Oh no, I'm sorry, not yeah. in Minneapolis. I meant uh when you go back to Philly. Uh what oh, your, when I go what's back. your go to spot? Oh sure. I mean in in Philly, in my opinion, one of the greatest places to go is Reading Terminal Market. And uh they have like so it's 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 classic it's hundred it's hundred some years old with amazing food and there's a place in there called the Nicks, and they serve this like hot brisket sandwich with sharp provolone cheese that 
It's just it's as good as anything. Uh, if you're looking for the best cheesesteak in Philly, you want to go to Angelo's on 9th Street. Um, not South 9th Street, Angelo's is incredible. But a lot of times when I go to Philly, the first thing I crave is just a nice soft pretzel. Nice. I was gonna, yeah. That was my next question was the Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My absolute last question is, uh, what's your favorite NFT that you've ever bought? And is there one that you would never sell? I won't say there's anything I would never sell. I mean, my board ape really did a lot. Um, like it became my identity. Bought it. I had a hundred followers on here. Now I have you know almost eleven thousand, and I've gotten so much from it. It's been incredible. Uh, but my favorite one could pos- possibly be my uh, V fro- my FaceTime frog with V friends, because that allowed me to FaceTime with Gary V. I'm going to be able to do that three times, and I'm actually going to get to meet him next Sunday at VCon because he promised to do five minutes for our podcast from the floor of VCon. So uh, that's really exciting. So that FaceTime frog kind of allowed that. And he really meant a lot to my journey. I've been following him. And I mean, without him, I probably would have thought NFT joke for a long time if it wasn't for him legitimizing them. So it means a lot. And to be able to buy an NFT that gives me access to meet him is really special. We'd like to thank Michael Keane and the community for a great conversation. Stay informed of upcoming episodes, receive our valuable weekly newsletter, and learn to earn by subscribing to Investorly at investorly.substack.com.